Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 527 a.m. Central Time. Grain markets are mixed this morning. Pretty quiet overnight trade. Let's start off with the Brazilian corn crop, which may be getting larger. So estimates for Brazil's second corn crop have been raised. On Monday, well-followed private group Ag Rural raised its forecast for Brazil's second corn crop by 5.7% to 91.2 million tons. The increase was attributed to more planted acres than originally estimated. Ag Rural is projecting the second corn crop at 40.4 million acres, down 4.7% compared to last season's crop. Hot and dry weather has caused soybean crops to fail in Mato Grosso, speeding up the soy cycle. As a result, the planting window for Brazil's second corn crop has widened. As of last Thursday, 23% of Brazil's soybean harvest was complete, up from 17% last year during the same period. The last estimate for the um, entire Brazilian corn crop that I found from Ag Rural was 114.1. So maybe this will put them up to like a 118 or 119 in total, which is still quite a bit below what USDA has out there. Here's a chart of Brazil plus Argentina corn production. And this is with this year's USDA estimate. So USDA is at 124, which is, is quite a ways above CONAB and these private groups. They've got Argentina at 55. So you're looking at a record combined corn crop in Brazil and Argentina, depending on how this growing season goes. They're, they're just planting this second corn crop in Brazil. It's it's three quarters of production. Uh, the, the notes that they made here about the soybean crop is interesting. Hot and dry weather caused soybean crops to fail in Mato Grosso. I think there's still a lot of debate um, in regard to how much damage the early dry spell did in, in Brazil when it comes to yields. And the early yields are going to be the worst because the, the rains kind of turned on in December, but uh, it still remains to be seen how bad it is actually in some of these areas. Looking at some South American weather this morning, I'd call all of this uh, for Brazil at least fairly benign. Uh, you're going to see some rains return to Southern Brazil where it's been dry. And then your 10 day forecast, it really opens up and offers rain just about everywhere. Argentina uh, caught some rains yesterday, like Sunday, Monday, maybe a little bit into this morning. And uh, now it looks dry for five days. And even the 10 day doesn't look that great. Um, what I've read from the forecasters is that this is all fine as long as rains return, you know, say 10 days out. And the extended GFS looks like they may return, but they're going to run into some dry weather again. Um, but the forecast all in all for South America is kind of a, a benign non-issue this morning. And that's why the markets, I think, are quiet uh, largely. The El Nino weather pattern may be coming to an end as NOAA has issued a La Nina watch for the summer. The La Nina pattern, however, isn't expected to have a large impact during the summer months. Both La Nina and El Nino are known for having greater impacts during winter months. There is a 79% chance that El Nino will transition to a neutral pattern between April and June. Between June and August, there is a 55% chance that La Nina will form. Years in the past with a similar weather pattern have produced a persistent upper level ridge over the eastern half of the U.S. A ridge typically raises temperatures and limits precipitation, a combination that could cause drought to worsen across the Corn Belt. Okay, I threw this in this morning. First off, this was from last week, but it's a slow news day. Um, so you've got 
uh, if you can believe it, a 55% chance that La Nina will develop in June through August. Um, this is like, these are like some of the graphics that you'll see about ocean temperatures and stuff. Here's the deal. You could have a drought. We had a drought last summer and we ended up with a record corn crop. So this is really not of interest to me. I don't think the market cares about this. It's, it's, I suppose if you're a weather nerd and, and you need to know all the ins and outs, then sure. Does this have anything to do with the market? No, it doesn't because you could run into a drought. But if you catch three rains across the corn belt in July, you're going to end up with a record corn crop like we did last year, which I know is, is not a popular thing to say, but that's what USDA uh, says happened in 2023. So um, this is all nonsense to me. I don't care about this, but uh, some people do. And if you do, that's cool. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand it. I just, I understand that you can't predict weather more than four or five days out. And when they say 55% chance, I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to scare me or uh, whatever, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about this guys. So if you guys have not checked out our premium content, you need to do so. You're not going to find content like this anywhere else. Joe, can you tell me about the video you put together yesterday? We are back to some hardcore grain marketing information this week. Chris Barron was on yesterday, had some super cool stuff regarding historical cost of production versus prices as it relates to corn. He went all the way back to the uh, late 90s, and um, Chris has you know a whole bunch of customers across the Corn Belt, and he took an aggregate of their production costs, compared it to uh, Board of Trade values, and um, some of the stuff that, that develops during bear market years, I'd probably argue that this could be one of those bear market years, certainly starting off that way. Uh, this is like must watch stuff if you're marketing grain this year, because uh, marketing in, in a bear market year as it relates to cost of production versus price is much, much, much different than the way that we marketed grain the last uh, two or three years. Today's video, I'm going to uh, run through in detail everything that I've advised for new crop corn, soybeans, and winter wheat. We're going to run some charts. Uh, we're going to run some uh uh, potential targets, that sort of thing. If you guys want to see the premium stuff, go to standardgrain.com. You can sign up this morning. This is a $50 per month subscription. You can cancel at any time. No other fee, no other obligation. Nobody will try to sell you anything else. Just a ton of info direct from us every single business day, guys. Morning email goes out at 5 a.m. Central Time. It includes the six most recent premium videos, as well as a whole bunch of other graphics, charts, commentary. Uh, check that deal out today. I will blast you over a copy of this morning's email. And uh, you want to be on the list at about 10 a.m. when that um, uh, new crop marketing review goes out. U.S. soybean shipments declined last week. USDA reported that 1.3 million metric tons of soybeans were inspected for export during the week ending February 8th. The print was down 24% compared to the previous week and down 22% compared to the same week last year. Corn shipments increased 36% versus the prior week at 880,074 metric tons. Wheat shipments were reported at 407,476 metric tons, up 38% compared to the previous week, but down 14% versus the same week last year. Your soybean numbers like close to average-ish. It was off versus last week. Um, given that USDA last week reduced its projection for soybean exports this year, we're probably on track to hit USDA projections, despite the fact that U.S. soybeans are overpriced on the export market. Uh, corn shipments were good, and you're going to start to see corn shipments uh, trend higher this time of year. Soybean shipments could should start to kind of trend lower this time of year. So I don't know that USDA has to make any major changes in regard to its projections. If anything, maybe it's wheat. Maybe they're a little bit too low on wheat, given this um, these Chinese purchases of SRW wheat. I don't know if it's going to be a big move, but that'd be the one uh, move that USDA may have to make down the road here.
Yesterday, Bitcoin surged to $50,000 for the first time since December 2021. The cryptocurrency hit an all-time high back in November uh, 2021 at almost 69000 The SEC's approval of Bitcoin ETFs last month have fueled the current rally. The approval has improved accessibility and increased the number of investors. Bitcoin ETFs have raked in about $8 billion since the SEC's approval. There's a bull case here and there's a bear case here. I'll give you both of them. We'll start off with the bear case. The bear case, the things that you hear about Bitcoin, this is a fraud. Um, it's used by drug dealers and terrorists, um, and, and that's what it is. And uh, Warren Buffett said, uh, I won't put words in his mouth, he said something along the lines of, you know, there's no cash flow here. Like if I buy a company, if I invest in Coca-Cola, they're going to sell Coca-Cola and make money and return the profits to me as a shareholder. Whereas in Bitcoin, the only way that I'm going to make money is by buying it and then selling it to somebody else. That's the only way it's profitable. So that's that's part of the bear case. There's probably more to it than that. The bull case is this. There's a lot of pent up demand. So they've been trying to get this ET, these uh, spot ETFs approved for like 10 years and they finally got them approved. So now you've got all this money, whether it's uh, just you know, Joe Main Street or big fund money that didn't want to invest in in the actual Bitcoin. They'd rather have an ETF that looks that you can put in a in a stock account. Um, there's a lot of pent up demand. The other thing is what they call the having. And um, in Bitcoin, if, if to compare this to like something you guys might understand a little bit better. So in the corn market, as an example, who's the natural seller in the corn market? It's the farmer. Farmer grows corn. The farmer is the natural seller. In Bitcoin, the miner is the natural seller. Bitcoin miners sell Bitcoin all the time because they've got to pay for their electricity costs, their cost of production, energy costs, that sort of thing. So when the halving happens in April, the um, amount that is being sold by these natural sellers essentially gets cut in half again. And the halving, the halvings in in uh, past instances have resulted in higher prices. Um, this is still the largest computer network in the world. I think they're back to close to a trillion dollar uh, valuation here. So it's, I don't know, super interesting, love it or hate it. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer personally, but um, that's just, that's the optimist in me, I guess. After a record-setting week last week, the S&P 500 declined on Monday. The S&P 500 fell by 0.1% yesterday, ahead of today's CPI report and numerous earnings reports that will be released this week. The decline comes after the benchmark index closed above 5,000 for the first time on Friday. U.S. stocks have climbed higher this year thanks to robust economic data and the ongoing rally in tech shares. Stocks have held their ground despite Wall Street reducing its expectations for interest rate cuts. The S&P 500 has increased 5.3% since the beginning of the year after gaining an impressive 24% back in 2023. We've had some good earnings. Um, the other thing would be the technical aspect. And it it almost is, it's, it's similar to the Bitcoin thing in, in one respect in that um, I think there's some pent up demand. There were a lot of people, whether it's like pension funds or just individual investors who all through 2022 and really all through 2023 were told there's a recession coming. This thing's going lower. It's going to crash. So they piled into money market funds, bonds, earning a say four or 5% a year. And now they look at the S&P and they say, oh shit, the S&P was up 23% last year and we missed it. We missed it. We can't afford to miss it again. So now the chase is on. I think that's a big part of what's going on. Fundamentally, is it good? Yeah, sure, it's good. But I think a lot of it is technical and that you've just got a lot of buyers that probably should have been uh, long, the, the stocks all along, that are, are chasing this thing now into all-time highs. So there is, there's a technical aspect as well as a fundamental aspect, I think.
The inflation rate in January is forecast to be the lowest in three years. Today's CPI report is expected to show that inflation last month rose at an annualized rate of 2.9%. If that figure actually comes to fruition, it would be the first time that inflation has dropped below 3% since March 2021. The projection is a steep decline from December's 3.4% annual increase. On a monthly basis, inflation is projected to have risen by 0.2%, matching December's monthly gain. The markets are pricing in a 60% chance that the Fed will begin cutting rates at their May meeting. Numerous Fed officials, however, have said rate cuts won't happen until later this year due to inflation remaining stubbornly high. The report will be released here this morning at 7.30 Central Time. So this is January data. They're looking for 2.9% headline, which is uh, pretty close to the Fed's target, which is like 2%, 2.5%. One thing that's interesting that will not be reflected in this data is that uh, I have noticed that gas prices are up and up quite a bit, and uh, that will have an impact on some of this stuff down the road. So this inflate when the CPI stuff comes out, I mean it's backward looking. We're looking, you know, a, a month backward. Looking forward, or even at what go what's going on presently, um, some of these energy costs I think could play a role. Um, I don't know. There's still a very very small chance that the Fed cuts in March. It's like 15%. They're probably going to stay steady. Uh, what did cattle do yesterday? Uh, cattle futures were basically mixed on Monday. Feeder cattle were green across the board, ranging from 25 cents higher to a buck 67 cents higher. Live cattle were down 80 cents to up 32 cents. Box beef was slightly higher on Monday. Choice ended the day at 294.08. That was up four cents. Select ended the day at 287.02. That was up a buck 94. Outside markets on Tuesday, very quiet. U.S. dollars off a little bit. Uh, stocks are down. The S&P is down 19. I suppose that's a material move. Bonds are flat. Uh, crude oil is up 53 cents in the March WTI at 77.45. Have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.